right now on Matter of Fact. Nearly half of all Americans are dealing with medical debt. You have a surprise bill that lands you know, in your mail. And these bills um, can range anywhere from hundreds of dollars to you know, five figures. How the No Surprises Act will impact you and your family immediately. And I want that house and I want that house. Behind the scenes of the hit HGTV show, Bargain Block. Home, sweet home. You have appraisers who are essentially afraid of these neighborhoods, and then they kind of think, oh, well, this is a crappy neighborhood, and then they sort of like just lowball it. How restoring abandoned homes in Detroit became an urgent mission to fight inequality. Plus, this father-son team became a social media sensation, teaching financial literacy to kids. What's a secure loan? And why the four-day work week may not be just a pipe dream. I'm Soledad O'Brien. Welcome to Matter of Fact. So imagine this. You have a routine medical procedure, let's say a colonoscopy. You're insured and your doctor is in network. But then you get an unexpected bill. That's exactly what happened to a woman who got a COVID test in an emergency room and then ended up with a $6,000 bill because the test went to an outside lab not covered by her insurance. The Journal of the American Medical Association found that one in five patients were hit with an out-of-network charge after having surgery. These bills can set you back hundreds, even thousands of dollars. 50% of Americans are actually carrying some medical debt right now, which of course can make paying those bills and managing the regular expenses seem almost impossible. Well, relief arrived on January 1st in the form of a new law. The No Surprises Act bans many of these surprise bills. Katie Keith is a researcher at the Center on Health Insurance Reforms at Georgetown University. Katie Keith, so nice to have you. Thank you for talking with me. So we know that the No Surprises Act went into effect on January 1st. Walk us through the basic features of this legislation and what exactly it does. What the No Surprises Act means is that those with private health insurance shouldn't face what we call surprise out-of-network bills anymore. And what I mean when I say surprise out-of-network bills, this is really for patients who do everything right. If you, if you schedule some kind of service, you make sure that the folks who are going to see you are in network. I would expect that my anesthesiologist would be in network. I didn't choose that doctor. You know, maybe you're in an emergency. You can't pick the hospital you're going to or the physician you're going to see. Uh, you're taken simply to the nearest emergency room, and then you have a surprise bill that lands, you know, in your mail. And these bills um, can range anywhere from hundreds of dollars to, you know, five figures. So we gave an example in your introduction about a woman who, who got a COVID test, went to the ER, didn't realize that it was sent to a lab out of network, had this multi-thousand dollar fee. How, how common is that? In general, um, there's estimates that one in five uh, hospital visits results in one of these out-of-network bills. So will this legislation then just end that? No more surprise bills? The only exception where you might see one of these bills is if you're taken by a ground ambulance. It, it tends to be a little bit more complicated. Some of them are owned by cities and counties. Um, there were several reasons why Congress didn't take that on, but we are starting to see some action at the state level. So if you look at how healthcare costs have been rising, now I think it's like 37 states, people there are paying 10% of uh, their median income is going to healthcare costs. And it seems to me to be both crazy and, and 
and unsustainable. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I would emphasize, I think, that 10% figure that you're giving. I, I think that's for premiums and deductibles. So for folks who were receiving these surprise bills, they were paying even more than that for, again, costs that they didn't even anticipate. So then what's the best strategy to lower health care costs? In the United States, we just pay so much more for health care than many other countries. It's sort of the, it's the price is stupid. And so, um, you know, we're paying so much more. It's about 20% of our GDP, which means, you know, a fifth of our economy is driven by healthcare. I think over time, it's going to be looking at those prices um, that people are actually being charged. It's going to be probably a, a focus on value-based care, making sure we're actually getting those outcomes for the amount that we're investing. Um, but it's going to take a lot of work. Is there anything that you see on the horizon where you could at least have some consistency in costs, right? That, that even in, you know, neighborhoods, communities close to each other, a, a procedure the cost of a procedure can vary wildly. Yeah, absolutely. Or even if it's not consistent cost, we should know what it is up front so you can be you know, an informed decision maker and then um, go to the place you want to go to. And so one, one initiative that is sort of slowly rolling out is a new transparency initiative. So this is a requirement that hospitals in particular and insurance companies have to sort of tell and show the prices that they charge for different things, um, including their negotiated rates. The question, I think, is will people use that information? Um, some types of healthcare is sort of shoppable like that. You can look it up before you go. Not all healthcare is, and so we'll at least have a little bit more insight into exactly what those prices are, so it's less of a black box uh, for everybody. Katie Keith from the Center on Health Insurance Reforms, thank you so much. Appreciate your time. Coming up. I had no idea that there was a whole massive population of the U.S. that has major issues just getting a normal mortgage for a very low-priced house. How the hosts of the hit show Bargain Block are leveling the playing field for first-time homebuyers in Detroit. And meet the father-son duo showing kids how to manage their money on Instagram. Plus, the surprising benefits of working a four-day week. To stay up to date with Matter of Fact, Sign up for our newsletter at matteroffact.tv. The American dream that includes home ownership is more elusive than ever. Fewer than two-thirds of the population owns their own home. In the city of Detroit, that number is even lower. The most recent census shows about 47% of the people within the city limits are homeowners. But one couple is on a mission to change that while the cameras are rolling. High five. Keith Bynum and Evan Thomas are the hosts of HGTV's hit show, Bargain Block. They're renovating rundown homes in Detroit, but their lessons focus on inequality and housing opportunities, in addition to makeover tips. Oh my gosh. Our correspondent, Jessica Gomez, traveled to Detroit to see how they're helping people purchase their very first homes. Alexa lights off. When you think about how big the city is, and how much there is still to do, it's a little overwhelming. Keith Bynum and Evan Thomas on their way to work. So we have houses on almost every one of these blocks. Their drive through the west side of Detroit, home to some of the most blighted neighborhoods in the city. So this house is what? It's around 1,100 square feet? It's yep. where the couple hosts their HGTV home renovation show, Bargain Block. This is like my dream kitchen. This is astonishing yes. to see. It's so much better to get the neighborhood looking better. The show follows Keith and Evan as they bring dying homes like this one back to life. 
It's so bright. Super bright. When you think of a $100,000 house, I don't think many people think of like, you know, a little design and glitz and glam and everything's new. Lord have mercy. With help from Detroit native and realtor Shay Hicks Whitfield and a tight design budget, they priced the homes to sell, mostly to first time buyers. When you see someone get that for the first time, it's pretty exciting that not only are they getting an asset too, but oftentimes they're paying less for their current yeah. mortgage than they were paying in rent. So it's like the biggest win possible. The couple got the renovation bug while living in Colorado and moved to Detroit to start their business with big dreams, but little experience. When we were telling our friends and our family that we were moving to Detroit after never having even visited Michigan, um, <laughs> You know, it was like, what, what, what? Like, what are you doing? Are you living, where are you living? Like, in the city? We're like, yeah, yeah. in the city. In, in, in an abandoned house. <laughs> Make me some toast, dear. Sleeping in the houses as we're working on them, it's a challenge. What was the thought process behind living in the homes as you were going? Necessity. <laughs> yeah, we didn't really have any of that. We didn't have enough money no to money. buy two homes at once. Uh -uh. With the renovation costs sinking them into debt while on national TV, the two quickly learned remodeling the homes would be the easy part. I had no idea that there was a whole massive population of the U.S. that has major issues just getting a normal mortgage for a very low-priced house, right? Detroit's shrinking population and mass foreclosures during the Great Recession have left tens of thousands of forgotten homes. You've got this one started. It looks crazy right now, but it's started. Many in neighborhoods where the reality hosts say the impact of redlining when minority families were denied home loans lingers today. You have appraisers who are essentially afraid of these neighborhoods. They walk in, they see houses that kind of don't look as nice as the houses that like they're in, right? And then they kind of think, oh, well, this is a crappy neighborhood. And then they sort of like just lowball it. Yeah, yeah. that would yeah. be amazing. Shay, who fights for fair appraisals, says it's often Keith and Evan who lose in the deal. They'll say, it's okay, on to the next one. Let this buyer purchase it and move on. Like, we're not gonna take this dream away from this buyer just because an appraiser says it's not worth it. So that gets me every time. Your toast is ready. It's been a year since Rachel Haynes bought her bargain block home. She's the first homeowner in her family. That's the main goal of me buying a home to do, to ultimately build that wealth and be able to pass it down to my children. The improvements in her neighborhood, she says, are slowly catching on. It shows that it can happen for not a lot of money and I really think it kind of encourages other Detroiters in these same neighborhoods to do the same thing. Did you get the green already? Meantime, Keith and Evan, nearly out of debt, have opened a store in the community. Hello. Hi, guys. Morning. And finally bought a home of their own for around $40,000. When you powwow with all the other HGTV uh, stars, <laughs> anybody else living in a $40,000 house? No. <laughs> so, uh, you know. What has been the response from the folks in these neighborhoods? You got, you know, mostly African-American communities here, and you got two white guys coming in, setting up camp. Two gay white guys. <laughs> two gay white guys. Yeah. I've never experienced community like this. Like, literally anytime we need help, somebody shows up. <laughs> Their story resonating here and with their 20 million viewers. They say because it's real life. 
I can see why from a viewer standpoint it's much more realistic like a lot of people the majority of the country lives like we do in Detroit for matter of fact I'm Jessica Gomez up next why this father has made teaching his son financial literacy a priority everything I do is make sure he's better than me and America's schools are in crisis what will it take to get more teachers back to classrooms It's never too early to start learning about money. In fact, research shows that teaching personal finance to kids can have concrete benefits, like helping to close the wealth gap. One online duo making inroads with financial literacy is Kyron Gibson and his nine-year-old son, King. They have more than a quarter million Instagram followers. And father and son have also authored a popular kid-friendly financial workbook, the Generational Wealth Building Activity Book. Our correspondent, Laura Chavez, caught up with King and Kyron in Asheville, North Carolina, to find out how they got started and why. What's a secure loan? Using, using Clara's help you for a loan. Come on. I almost got this. In their online presence, King and Kyron, Kyron teaches and quizzes his nine-year-old son, King, on money and fiscal terms. Is it a surplus or shortage when it comes to PS5s? Shortage. Because we haven't been able to get one because there are... It's a shortage of them. It's not that many, right? Exactly. That's why it's more expensive. That's why it's what? More expensive. Exactly. That's, and that's supply and demand. For so big, dog. Their fun, casual videos made them online powerhouses when it comes to teaching kids. What we gonna do, son? Exercise. Yeah, we do. We gonna exercise. Everything I do is make sure he's better than me. I don't want him to be nothing like me. I want him to times two me. And then I want his kids to times two him. That's, that's the mission, you know, breaking generational curses. Why do you think you are resonating with so many people in this world of financial literacy? I can't really answer that, but I can say, you know, for my people, you know. Systemic racism is true and it's real. <laughs> no, I'm scared. I have to create my own way to try to help our people and also, number one, help myself and my son break it. <laughs> in the black community, you don't see a lot of us owning. And that's what I'm doing with my son first and whoever watches, you know, I hope I can do that with them as well. With curiosity peaked, we wanted to see how King and Kyron's target audience of kids interacts with money. EJ? Unsupervised. Lucia, Sehana, and King. Kids? Let's go. So we ran an experiment. We put five kids in a toy store, gave each of them 15 minutes and $20. Three, two, one, shop. The rest was up to them. I definitely want this. Knowing that this was their money, the kids were shrewd shoppers. So you're at $20.96 with this one. Wait, take this one away. After they checked out, we sat down together, and Kyron talked to them about budgeting, saving, and how money can work for them. So, would you guys prefer to have had a chance to redo it over? Would you have kept your twenty dollars to save up later on for a draw, or would you rather have just bought what you bought today? I probably would have like gotten something While the kids were happy with their purchases. They were also thinking about money differently, just like Kyron hoped. Because it's cool being what? Smart. Exactly. If you don't like something, change it. If you can't change it, change your attitude. Maya Angelo. In Asheville, North Carolina, I'm Laura Chavez for the Matter of Fact Listening Tour.
King and Kyron are part of our latest listening tour, Promises of Change. Other guests include Emmanuel Pratt, a 2019 MacArthur Fellow, growing a better neighborhood in Chicago. Watch the Matter of Fact listening tour, Promises of Change, on matteroffact.tv. Ahead on Matter of Fact, strikes, walkouts, protests, schools are suffering. Find out what some states are doing to get teachers back in the classrooms. Plus, how one change in the workplace could increase worker happiness. Strikes, shortages, and walkouts. There is a crisis in education happening across the country. In Chicago, teachers are back in schools despite having protested in-person learning. We've seen student walkouts in New York City, in Boston. Many are asking how all of this will affect the future of teaching. In Oklahoma, for example, they're struggling to fill teacher positions. In some schools, there are uniformed police officers that have been filling in. And Oklahoma City University suspended its early childhood and elementary education programs for this spring because of low enrollment. A statewide report shows a 25% drop in the number of students earning education degrees. Plus, 54% of vacancies haven't been filled. It highlights the level of stress that our educators have been under over these, these past two years. They need help. Um, our teachers are stretched to the max. They're, they're doing things that they never thought they'd be asked to do. Some states are increasing pay to bring in more teachers. Mississippi has a bill on the books to bump teacher pay by $6,000 to $43,000 a year. And Washington, D.C. public schools are now offering substitute teachers higher pay at $17 an hour. Coming up, why a four-day work week may be closer than you think. Finally, many of us enjoyed our first four-day week of the year, if you got Monday off in celebration of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. But what if a four-day work week was the rule, rather than the result of a federal holiday? In England, they're testing it out. Researchers in the UK are launching a pilot program for an abbreviated work week. It involves 30 UK businesses and will take place from June to December of this year. It's backed by the company Four-Day Week Global. Now, Iceland studied workers on four-day weeks from 2015 to 2019, and they found increased productivity, increased happiness, and better health, while Microsoft Japan found a shorter week increased output by 40%. So I think America should research this deeply, and I volunteer to test it out. I will be taking Mondays off from now on. No, I'm just kidding. That's it for this edition of Matter of Fact. I'm Soledad O'Brien, and I'll see you back here next week. If you missed our top stories on what to expect from the act aimed at eliminating surprise medical bills, a look behind the scenes of a hit HGTV show and its unexpected mission, the father and son team teaching financial literacy to kids, and the teacher crisis and what some states are doing to fix the problem, go to matteroffact.tv. And listen to Matter of Fact with Soledad O'Brien on your favorite podcast provider. Watch us during the week on FYI, Pluto, and YouTube.